Good day, everyone, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. It's been four years of legal wrangling over the conditions in Detroit public schools between the state and some Detroit students. Now that battle has come to an end with a historic settlement of the lawsuit. It calls for almost $95 million in funding for future literacy education, the creation of two task forces to oversee the quality of education for Detroit students, and the seven plaintiffs in the case, Detroit students who challenged the state's support of their education, will all share a $280,000 payout. The lawsuit has been widely known as the right to read or right to literacy lawsuit because it claimed the state has a constitutional obligation to provide students with a basic education and that the state of Michigan failed to do that. What will this mean now for Detroit students and students all over the state of Michigan? How often have we talked on this program about funding for schools and the way it leaves some with more than others? How often have we talked in this state about the overall inadequacy of school funding here in the state of Michigan? That is where we begin the conversation today. And joining us to talk about this lawsuit and about education more broadly is Elizabeth Moji. She is the Dean of the School of Education at the University of Michigan. Dean Moji, welcome back to Detroit Today having me, Stephen. It's great to be here. Yes. So you were deeply involved in the work of this lawsuit. Tell us what the nature of that work was and uh, what your reaction is to this settlement. Well, uh, in this particular lawsuit, to the, the as you said, the right to literacy case, I um, filed an amicus brief, uh, amicus curiae brief, um, and invited uh, scholars from across the country to sign on to that brief. Uh, the brief laid out our basic arguments about the right to literacy as a constitutional right, even though, of course, that is not named in the United States Constitution. Um, in fact, the right to education is not actually named in the Constitution, mm-hmm. although there are certainly um, a number of uh, precedents um, legal arguments that have been made that uh, ensure the right to education as basic to uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, which is afforded to us as um, you know, people, uh, citizens of the United States. Um, so, so I wrote about the conditions uh, in the schools, conditions that I had witnessed firsthand. Mm-hmm. I've been, you know, doing research and working with teachers in Detroit for 23 years, and so I was able to draw from my research base, my firsthand observations, and from prior work that I had done in uh, a similar case that had been um, brought against the state uh, in in regard to Highland Park schools, mm-hmm. um, which is you know where we actually went in and interviewed teachers and um, actually observed classes. So in, in in support of the work of the case. So I was able to draw on that work as well as mm-hmm. my own um, research in yeah. the city. Yeah. Uh, and so this settlement, uh, which is a pretty wide uh, sort of kind of sprawling settlement, has a lot of different moving parts. Uh, give us your take on, on where this landed. 
Well, um, I'm, I'm very pleased that there will be action taken. Uh, it has been a long time coming. If we, if we think about the initial case, uh, you know, to really try to work on a right to literacy and, and to improving literacy for all our children. Uh, it's been about 10 years, um, maybe even longer. Uh, so it's, it's good to have something actually happening to try to redress these issues because as we wrote in the Highland Park case, every, every day that goes by in which children are not being provided uh, adequate literacy instruction is, uh, you know, a day of loss, a day um, that makes the learning even harder. And, and literacy instruction has implications for every content area. It is so core and foundational to all learning. So I'm, I'm really pleased that we'll have some action. Um, looking at the terms of the settlement, I, I feel uh, the right things are being done, uh, particularly bringing in academic interventionists and literacy specialists, um, hiring certified teachers to work as those reading interventionists will uh, be absolutely critical. We need people with expertise. Teaching literacy uh, is like rocket science. Uh, it is actually really challenging. Mm -hmm. People don't always understand how difficult it is to not only know the best approaches, but then to figure out when children are struggling what, where the struggle emanates from and how to then redress that struggle. So um, I'm, I'm really pleased about the idea that there'll be people with expertise um, coming into the schools. I'm pleased with um, the attention to books. It's very difficult to learn to read without actual reading material, and that is something we documented uh, as absent uh, for many, many years. So I think that the right things are in the settlement, and now the question is, how do we put this into action? One thing I will say uh, is that you know we haven't actually devoted as much um, effort, I would say, to training um, certified reading specialists in the last 10 to 15 years because those jobs were disappearing mm. in districts. And I think we will find that we have a dearth of really qualified reading specialists, and a number of um, institutions are, of higher education are launching different kinds of reading courses to really try to uh, fill that void and to help people develop that specialization. So, so um, the, the biggest part of the lawsuit of the settlement calls for $95 million in future funding to support literacy education in Detroit schools. And that, however, is subject to approval by our legislature, which is led by uh, Republican majorities in both houses. Uh, what do you think is the chance that we actually end up seeing that money released to uh, kids here in Detroit? Well, I'm hopeful that um, a legislature that passed uh, a retention law uh, that holds children back in after third grade if they haven't adequately learned to read um, would also see the desperate need for literacy intervention. Um, it, it's very difficult to imagine uh, you know, how we would uh, enforce a law that 
keeps children from moving forward if we're not providing adequate instruction to help them move forward. And we've done a lot of work in the last year um, out of need because of this retention law that, you know, many uh, scholars find problematic for a whole host of reasons, um, namely that retention does not actually show positive outcomes for children in most cases. Mm -hmm. Um, But we've done a lot of work to try to push in early intervention so that children aren't getting to third grade without being able to read. And that is a key dimension of the, the settlement, that there will be a real focus on that early literacy skill. Now, I also hope that the legislature will see the value of continuing to support children as they move through the grades. We know, uh, this is my area of specialization, that literacy learning does not stop at third grade. People continue to learn literacy whenever they encounter new and challenging texts or new domains in which the vocabulary is specialized or the the ways of reading and writing are are very unique. Um, so, So we have to continue to provide literacy education through the grades, and and I would um, think that the legislature, caring, obviously, as they do about reading Mm -hmm. um, so much that they made a law about it, would then provide the funding to support the work that needs to be done. Mm. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Dean Elizabeth Moji of the School of Education at the University of Michigan. We're talking about the historic settlement of a lawsuit that was filed on behalf of Detroit students against the state of Michigan, claiming that the state had violated their constitutional rights by failing to provide adequate educational support to allow them to learn to read. Uh, the, the case itself was historic in that it, uh, it, it advocated for the idea that there is a constitutional right to literacy. Uh, and this settlement is historic in the sense that it uh, gets the state to admit that uh, that right exists and that it should do better in trying to respect that right and provide for those students. There are many parts of this settlement, uh, but the biggest is $95 million in future funding to support literacy education here in the city of Detroit. That, however, will have to be approved by the state legislature. Uh, If you enjoyed the conversation, give us a call and tell us what your reaction is to Governor Gretchen Whitmer's announcement that the state has settled this right to read lawsuit with Detroit students? Do you believe that students should be guaranteed a constitutional right to a basic education and to literacy? What did you think of the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals ruling recently that said, yes, that right does exist? Uh, And what do you hope this will mean for all schools and for public education? Uh, Is this maybe a turning point where we start to talk a little differently about the ways in which we fund schools and supply uh, the kinds of support that people need, kids need, to learn to read and to do other things. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we will work you back. 
into the conversation. Um, Dean Moji, in 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 the second segment we'll have with you, I want to talk more about statewide issues and funding. Uh, you and I have had that conversation a couple of times, but I think that this settlement does have some implications for that conversation about how we fund schools uh, all over the state of Michigan. But but before we do that, I want to ask you about uh, Detroit School Superintendent Nikolai Vitti and his reaction to this settlement. He says it doesn't come anywhere near the kind of money they need to fix dilapidated school buildings, let alone ensure academic success for students. Uh, again, we'll talk a little later about funding and, and how, how the picture here probably needs to change in the state of Michigan. But I'm, I'm curious, as someone who was involved in the lawsuit, you've got the superintendent of schools saying, nice uh, to have this, but boy, we need a lot more. Well, I, I can't disagree. Um, you know, this is years and years of uh, lack of attention to children's learning that um, ha- has to be made up. And so, you know, it, it's really expensive endeavor to educate children just, you know, in, in kind of normal, um, ideal conditions. It, it costs a lot. Um, and more and more people are understanding why, um, because they're trying to help educate their own children at home and realizing it's actually difficult and you need people who know what they're doing you need all kinds of supports, and you need physical facilities that are really robust and that can um, support children's learning in all different ways. And I, I think he's right that it's, it's not enough money to completely turn things around. At the same time, we're happy to have something to be able to start to do the work and be able to show the improvement that can be made when we really dedicate ourselves to helping children learn to read and write with proficiency and with power. So, uh, you know, it would, would I think more would be better? Absolutely, because as I said, it's years and years of neglect that has to be made up for. But am I happy that there's a settlement? Absolutely, um, because at least we can get started. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Call and tell us what you think about this settlement of this historic suit here in the city of Detroit against the state, saying that the state had not provided adequate support to allow kids to learn to read, which uh, the suit said was a constitutional right here in this in the United States. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number. Let's go to Michelle in Detroit. Michelle, welcome to the program. Good morning. Thank you. I would just like to hear more about the the process by which we had a lawsuit. There was a uh, hearing. There was a decision made by the federal appeals court. So why then a settlement? I read in the free press that the Republican legislature was maybe going to ask this judgment to be set aside. And I was personally excited that there might be a, a judicial precedent set that, that liter- literacy would be a right. So can you talk about the strength of a settlement? versus a decision and, and the, the whole procedure here? Yeah, that, uh, that's actually a great question. And I think it's something that uh, was kind of lurking in the background 
of of these discussions over the last uh, week or so as as they came to a settlement. Uh, Dean Moja, I know you're not a lawyer, uh, <laughs> but, but but talk about the value of having reached this settlement versus continuing to to pursue this through the courts and and leaving it up to uh, the judicial system. That's a great question, Michelle, and, uh, and Stephen's right. I'm not a lawyer, so um, I'll, I'll qualify anything I say with that. Um, I, I, we, we all um, wondered about, um, you know, the, the sort of wisdom of either direction, um, you know, taking a settlement, negotiating a settlement, or, you know, seeing this to um, a higher court. And I think the way that I'm uh, at peace with the idea of a settlement is, in in some ways, this could be the best of both worlds. It is an historic decision. Uh, it does uh, find that there is a right to literacy and, by extension, a right to education, that that is a constitutional right, and it provides resources to start the work now. And I think for me... That's one of the biggest um, bonuses of this, that um, to move forward would be many, many more years of um, effort and, um, you know, prolonging the, the debates and the discussions. Mm-hmm. And many, many more years is just, you know, more time that children um, aren't necessarily being provided what they need. Now, I want to I qualify that statement because, um, you know, my colleagues in the Detroit Public School Community District are working quite diligently with what they have to really turn things around in terms of literacy learning and education in general. Um, so I don't want to suggest that they're continuing to neglect um, the education of children but they need more resources. And so for me, um, that, that space between the settlement and um, the historic decision, I think, is, is navigated by the idea that this is about time, and time is of the essence yeah. for whole generations of children. Yeah, I think that's a really important uh, consideration there. Uh, the other thing I'd say, and you know, I'm not a lawyer either, but I did spend a long time covering uh, the U.S. Supreme Court in in Washington, and I've seen, you know, sort of how federal courts deal with issues like this. I was really concerned, actually, about the Court of Appeals decision and the way it absolutely eviscerated the equal protection claim that was made in this case, because I felt like that was the that was the claim that had the strongest support in federal precedent. Uh, this this ruling about the right to literacy was interesting and somewhat novel, but I was really worried about what that would look like if it had come back, for instance, to the district court, which was what the Court of Appeals said it wanted uh, the district court to do to, to, to rehear that issue. I didn't feel like it had a great shot in the district court. And certainly if it had gone ahead to the full panel uh, of the Sixth Circuit or up to the Supreme Court, I don't think there was a lot of chance that that it would have prevailed. I mean, I think the settlement really actually delivers something to the city and to, to, to kids here where uh, that certainty just was not there at, at, from my perspective uh, at, in, a, in a judicial sense. Um, right. That's, I, I would agree completely, Stephen. That, that's absolutely right, that there was such um, concern over what would happen next 
uh, that this seemed to be the better route, and it's a it's a more expedient route in terms of time. Yeah. Okay, Michelle, thanks very much for the call uh, and the great question. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation about this education settlement here in the state of Michigan. We want to continue to hear from you as well. Mike in Gross Point, Gene in Detroit, we will get to you. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. You can also go to Facebook or Twitter, and we'll get you into the conversation that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Today on 1019 WDT, I'm Stephen Henderson. As always, thanks for tuning in. My guest is Dean Elizabeth Moji of the School of Education at the University of Michigan. We're talking about the settlement of the lawsuit that has filed on behalf of Detroit students challenging the state's support for education uh, in the city, saying that uh, they had not provided adequate support in order to allow kids to learn to read. Uh, the settlement says that there will be some new efforts to make sure that that happens uh, more uh, consistently and with stronger support here in the state of Michigan and in the city of Detroit. Uh, we want to know what you think about this settlement. Uh, what's your reaction to the idea of settling it this way as opposed to going forward through court? Uh, what do you think that uh, students should be guaranteed uh, under the Constitution? Do Students have a constitutional right to a basic education and to literacy. That was one of the questions in the case. Uh, Court of Appeals recently said that they do, but they also said that that, that issue needed to be litigated uh, in federal courts and sort of fleshed out a little more. Uh, what do you think about that idea? Should we be uh, thinking differently about the way schools teach literacy? Should we be thinking about differently about the way that we support schools? in literacy education. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook or to Twitter. Put comments there, and uh, we will work you into the conversation. Let's go to Gene in Detroit. Gene, welcome to the show. Uh, good morning, Stephen. Hey, Gene. None of this is going to make any difference unless the practice of raiding the state school aid fund to subsidize economic development projects inside tax increment finance areas comes to an end and the financial review commission is finally dissolved. Mm. Uh, Gene, I know that that's one of the issues that is closest to your heart and, and something you have advocated for for a long time. I'm glad you called and uh, injected it into the conversation here. Uh, Dean Moji, the, the, the way in which the school aid fund is used to leverage development and some other things in the state is one of the, one of the things I think sort of reflects uh, 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 misplaced priorities, I guess, uh, here in the state of Michigan, this idea that school funding shouldn't be held harmless or is not sacred. And again, that gets us a little closer to that conversation about how we, how we fund schools in Michigan and whether we ought to be doing it differently and better. 
Well, Stephen, I love the uh, phrase, school funding is sacred. I I think uh, it should be sacred. I think if we don't prioritize our children's education and certainly not providing the kind of funding necessary to provide quality education to all children, to every single child, regardless of where they live, um, that that suggests that we don't prioritize education. It, it, it you know we we shouldn't uh, agree with Jean. We shouldn't be using funds that are supposed to be dedicated to schooling for other purposes. I think the question of um, equity in school funding is one you and I, Stephen, have talked about several times, and and many people around the state and around the nation are talking about equity in school funding. Um, The difference between equality in funding and equity, Mm -hmm. I think, is critical. Um, We know that there are are, um, school districts and, you know, communities with economic challenges, and as those districts really struggle to keep up with their funding needs, they get, you know, the the expense gets greater and greater. And so we need to inject more funding into those settings because it's the only way to really turn things around. Now, I know there are probably listeners saying, but more funding isn't the answer. There's actually research that does show, in fact, that more funding matters. Mm. I would agree with people who would say it's how you use the funding that really matters. I think that's right. But there's no reason that we couldn't, as a, as a state, as a society, make some inroads on changing school funding practices so that they are equitable and coming up with guidelines to help us think about how funding should be used and, and what are the protections and how do we make it truly sacred. So, so in addition to this equity question, which I think is, is really critical here in, in Michigan, and we are way behind some other states in terms of the way that we think about that, that question, we also just have, uh, I think, an issue with, with funding sufficiency here in Michigan, how much we actually spend per student on education uh, is is lower and is slipping, again, behind other states who have found other ways to make sure that, uh, that kids have what they need when they show up at the schoolhouse door. That's absolutely right. Uh, we, we don't uh, have the same per-pupil expenditures as other states, um, and particularly other states who are thriving, um, in, you know, as measured by say, test scores or other kinds of metrics, and that, that is a critical need. So we need to both fund more sufficiently across the board and then fund more equitably and also come up with systems for ensuring that the funding is used well. Uh, again, 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. Uh, you can also go to Facebook and Twitter, put comments there. We'll work you in. Let's go to Mike in Gross Point. Mike, welcome to the show. Stephen, great show. Dean, thank you for participating. Uh, doesn't matter what the outcome of this is, the state budget deficit is going to be so huge. Governor Whitmer has already announced that schools can expect a 25% hit to their budgets. Hmm. 
there is not going to be enough money to go around this time. Mm. And it is high time that we take a look at updating the way we teach students. We are in the 21st century, yet we're using 200-year-old classroom ideas. We can track pupils and eyeballs, and we can learn how kids are learning with computers and teach them a whole lot faster and better, with the best examples being teachers who are capable and competent putting them online and having others do the monitoring of the children, Mm. rather than paying so many who are so inept at doing a job. Uh, I, I love teachers dearly, don't get me wrong, but they can't do a good enough job. Hmm. Uh, Mike, I really appreciate uh, the call and the, the point of view. I'm not sure I share a lot of what uh, you're saying there with you, but but I do appreciate your calling and, and sharing it with the listeners here. Um, uh, let's sort of take that in, in parts, uh, Dean Moji, this question about how much money there's going to be, especially in the short term, I think is, is critical to this idea of $95 million coming to the city. Uh, in order to boost literacy education, how how worried are you about the timing, I guess, of this settlement? I am worried. I'm worried about uh, our economy in general. I'm worried about all the people who are struggling and suffering right now. Um, and and yet, you know, we, these measures are absolutely necessary. We need to maintain our safety, our, our health. And um, it's, it's going to be a long road back for everyone. So I think that's where I'd start is, um, yes, I think the, the state uh, budget is, is going to be very challenging. I think um, aid to uh, K-12 schools, uh, to preschools, to higher education, to many, many different um, activities will, will be challenged. Um, so there's no denying that. And I think we all just have to figure out how we're going to do our very best work with really constrained resources. I do think um, the timing of the settlement, uh, you know, at this moment is um, it's discouraging uh, because it is hard to imagine how, uh, you know, the, the state would come up with the resources, but it can be done. It's a settlement. We're going to we're going to keep after um, everyone who is responsible for ensuring that our children learn to read, so that they can participate in bringing our economy back. I mean, that's what we have to think about. If we are not fully educating our children, then we really should be worried about our future post-COVID. So we have to keep our eye on the ball here and make sure that education and the, the high-quality education we know our children deserve, that that stays in the forefront. Mm. Uh, what about Mike's observation about teachers and the way we teach in schools? I mean, I think I would agree with him that uh, we, we have – not updated teaching uh, as much as we probably should have, uh, but I'm not sure I w- would would agree that that online teaching uh, uh, is is necessarily the, the the panacea. Maybe that that Mike sees it as, or that somehow uh, that will help uh, mask, I guess, the, the the quality of teachers, which he, he doesn't uh, necessarily think is is all that high here in Michigan. 
Right. I, so I'll, I'll take this in parts. The first thing I would say is that actually there have been pretty major changes in the way people teach and think about teaching and, and also the way uh, teacher preparation programs educate teachers. Uh, we're, we're certainly not using methods of, uh, you know, 100 years ago or 200 years ago, I think Mike said. Um, we, are, we are teaching according to, you know, what we know, what we now understand about how people learn, how people, in, in the case of literacy, how people learn to read, what are the best methods. The challenges in making those, um, those ideas come to life in in classrooms, it's actually really hard. As I said, you know, teaching is like rocket science. It is very difficult. And it's even more difficult, you know, thinking about one, teaching one child um, is challenging. Teaching groups of children simultaneously is even more challenging. And teaching groups of children in really compromised conditions, in poor facilities with lack of text or other kinds of technology tools uh, becomes even more difficult. So I would say that it's not about bad teachers, but it's about a whole set of conditions that we need to work on collectively. We need to think about the context of teaching and learning. We need to think about all of the challenges that come into classrooms on a daily basis, the the issues that teachers are really struggling to address. Um, you know, I participated in a panel with teachers, and every single teacher talked about the trauma that children are experiencing, and this was pre-COVID. So the stress and anxiety and trauma that is part of classroom life, that doesn't go away when children enter schools. Mm. And so it's not about teachers being... Um, ill-equipped. It's about teachers not being able to do multiple jobs of social worker, nurse, um, you know, uh, mental health therapist, um, all of the different pieces that have to come together in today's classrooms. So I would think about that as our next step. How do we better support teachers in doing the work of a really complex uh, education system in the modern world. Now, um, I, I probably should stop there, but I will just go on to say a bit about online education mm-hmm. and what we're going to learn as a result of this crisis. And I, that's where I think Mike is right. There are things we can learn about remote teaching. Um, we can learn about the lack of connection that our learners are feeling um, and how important it is to be face-to-face and to have those relationships. But we can also learn about some things that can be done really well online. And we're working on trying to study those things, um, you know, as we speak. Uh, Again, uh, Mike, thanks very much for the call uh, and the comments. Let's go to Ralph in Midtown. Ralph, what's on your mind? Good morning. I just wanted to comment about uh, adult education in the city of Detroit. Mm. I I was an adult education teacher for a number of years, and uh, it it is almost dried up. And I think that I'd like to see, I'd wish to see, uh, it come back because uh, it was influ- very influential in the city of Detroit of 
of getting jobs for adults who wouldn't even think about getting them, who gave, gave them a second, first, second, third time a chance to have a, a, um, a GED. And uh, it's something that is not, has, has not been uh, put in focus at all yet. Yeah. No, Ralph, you're absolutely right. Uh, and adult ed has been a, a tricky subject here in the city of Detroit for a really long time, uh, dating back to uh, the 80s and 90s when uh, the system started to come apart. Uh, Dean Moji, I wonder if you can talk about, I mean, the, the, the relationship here is that if kids don't get what they need in schools with regard to literacy, what we end up with is an adult population that also struggles with that. And we do poorly on that end as well, trying to pick up the slack. Well, Ralph, I, uh, I absolutely agree with you. I actually taught adult education as well um, for a few years. I taught in an auto plant and uh, taught in a, a number of different um, school districts as well. And it was an amazing experience. I really learned a lot about what children aren't getting in school um, by working with adults who had simply not gotten those things. I remember um, one individual saying to me, I, I never read an entire book all through my school days, and now I've read 15 books, and I, I feel like a completely different person. So uh, I absolutely agree that adult education can really make a difference in our community. Um, it can make a difference in terms of workforce development. It can make a difference in terms of how people feel about themselves and how they can participate in our community. So uh, I, I completely agree. And, you know, I think, of course, the big challenge is resources. Where do the resources come from to be able to support adult education? But we absolutely need it. Uh, we've had too many young people who've left school um, either early or even at graduation um, without really having learn to, to their full capacity. Okay. Dean Elizabeth Moji of the School of Education at the University of Michigan. It is always really great to have you here with us for these conversations. Thanks for being with us. Well, thank you, Stephen. It was a pleasure. Yeah. All right. Up next, last month, we said goodbye to one of our very favorite people here on Detroit Today. Turns out our frequent caller, Tom Wilson, had also just done an interview with Al Jazeera English program's Fault Lines about the presidential race. We're going to hear some of that interview and speak with reporter Daniel Marins about his talk with Tom and the piece he's writing about him for HuffPost. Stay with us on Detroit Today. 